You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs, with your hosts, Dan Lipman and Kelly Daniels. Hey there, Dan. This is Kelly Daniels. Hi, Kelly Daniels. It's Dan Lipman. Good to talk to you, man. It is. Does our new introduction say our name? Was that just redundant? Uh... Well, our new introduction isn't really in a operation quite yet. In fact, Gabe is going to send me the music that he kind of uh, edited, as well as his um, what his uh, introduction. And I may use that one a few more times just for ease. Oh, okay. So, okay. You know how we are. We're loose around here. We don't we don't uh, release our episodes in any order at all, and it completely confuses people. So. If we say our names, we don't say our names. If we're redundant, if we're not redundant, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm of the attitude that it's all, it's all cool. You're just all, we're just all on our treadmills. You're on your treadmills. Everything's fine. Everything is Man. okay. Should it's we, groovy. should we explain, um, our, uh, technical setup at the moment? I don't know that we, we only have 40 minutes or so, but good luck. <laughs> well, you're, everything is recording, but uh, Dan isn't hearing me over Skype, and so um, we need to fix this. Actually, we're supposed to have a guest tomorrow, and so we're actually talking on the phone, but also recording through Skype, even though Dan can't hear a thing I say through Skype, although it's being picked up on the recorder. Totally weird, but hey, that's audio engineering. That's the game, the audio yeah. game. You know what? It just shows how scrappy we are. You know, a lot of those... Uh, a lot of those a lot of those top drawer podcasters like Mark Marin and stuff, he's got really nice equipment and producers and engineers. We're, we're operating out of an iPhone, a microphone, and, uh, you know, one cup of coffee right here. Too and I true. think we sound better for it. My coffee is uh, empty, too, which makes it even worse. So it's oh, tough. Mine's full. It's very tough these days. And I went to the library, so I stopped at the new coffee shop that opened up here in Byron, and uh, I had a nice chat with somebody. It's always nice to have a friendly interaction. I noticed that with Starbucks, you know, I have that Starbucks app that I'm always just looking at my phone, kind of like scrolling down. Here's the button. Here's this button. And I never even know who hands me the cup of coffee. But, you know, at the local place, no app. So you have to have a personal interaction. Wow. That's beautiful. That's uh, So the Byron Library, is that funded with uh, nuclear power plant money? Absolutely. Nice. I like it. Turn on your lights and we get a little piece of that. I wish that all the books were sort of powered by nuclear power. Someday they will be. Yeah, I hope so. Each book has a little reactor in it. Yeah, it's it's, it's heading that way. Well, then you don't have to plug your Kindle in. You just sort of, you know, shoot one atom at another atom and then, uh, is that how nuclear power works? Oh, no, you know what it would be? Each book would come with a red-hot piece of glass, which you would drop into a piece of water, and then the steam would come up, and that would power the ebook. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you understand how nuclear fission or fusion works, whichever one is. Well, I have a nuclear reactor in front of my house, not that far, and I've taken a tour. I had uh, a friend of mine did a reading well, way back in graduate school, and... Uh, he was talking, he quoted one of our teachers who said that writing poems is like diffusing little bombs. And so he was doing a reading of a short story that he, his main character was a poet. And at first he had poems that he wrote in the story, but 
in revision, he took them out, he said, because um, well, other poets may, for them, it may be diffusing little bombs, but for me, it's taking little shits. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was pretty good. Maybe That's, not worth the long explanation, but eh, I bad. think I understood it. Yeah. Well, hey, um, actually, I was about to jump into our topic, but instead, let's crumple up my notes so that I'm sure Ooh. to not understand what we're going to do the rest of the day. And launch into a revision. What you got for us today, Dan? Well, let me just say this. That crumple sound did not come across the iPhone. So I don't know if you actually crumbled, but I, I could not hear it. Uh, I would like to revise. I think the last episode that our listeners heard, hopefully if it was in order, was the baseball episode. Is that correct? Hard to say at this point, but yeah, I guess that may or may not be how it ends up going. You may or may not know that we recently spent an evening, Kelly and I did, with a friend of the podcast, Joe Bonomo, who's a baseball, something of a baseball, not a baseball expert, but he's he's uh, writing a book on Roger Angel, and he's definitely a, uh, a serious fan of the game. So we went to a minor league game, and at the end of the podcast, we went to a dive bar, and I think we all said our goodbyes, and... Yeah. Uh, the mic came my way, and I had this beautiful thing I was going to say in my head about friendship and about, like, how much the evening had meant to me and the baseball game and, you know, hanging out with you fellas. And I know that I haven't heard it back, but I know all I said was, like, uh, 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 and then uh, somebody else took the microphone. So I just want to uh, get that sentiment on record. I would like to revise that. And instead of being kind of like a, not a drunken slur, but sort of like a, somebody who's had too much stimulation, I would like to go back and rewrite it and write something eloquent. And that would be my revision. What's yours? Well, I'm going to improvise a little bit here. There's a couple of revisions I've been thinking about um, about that night because it was such a fun night, but it was also a night that was um, rife with possibilities and good lines that I never took until I thought of later. Um, one of them was uh, you guys maligning the angels and, and rubbing it in, starting the whole thing off before we even had a buzz about how uh, your team beat <laughs> the angels in the 2005 playoffs. Um, oh, right. Still a wound, well, even right. though it's 11 years, 12 years ago. Um and when A.J. Pruszynski humiliated the entire city of Los Angeles by stealing first, that's what you're talking about? I don't know that he humiliated the city of Los Angeles, and, and Anaheim is actually not Los Angeles and actually not what? even all that close to it. Um, and Los Angeles doesn't really like the Angels much. It's They're a Dodgers city. Um, oh. And, but I think he humiliated the ump, like the ump was the guy that was uh, looking the fo most foolish. He was the one that had to do all these press conferences and try to explain himself. Um, no, but what I forgot to mention, I should have just mentioned, is that that was 12 years ago, but uh, your team was actually looking really good earlier in the season. And then uh, the Angels came to town. And swept you. That's right. And ever since, you guys have been just losing, 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 and now you're many games below below 500. So if you guys are going to be mean and there was two against one, I think uh -huh. that uh, I should have uh, pulled out the uh, the more recent. And sure, it's not the playoffs or anything. And what is pretty the sure you won't be sniffing the playoffs this year. 
what are they doing this year in the Angels? Like, wh- how are they? How are they doing? Angels. Right What's their well, the yeah. Angels' two best starting pitchers both went down immediately and pitched almost uh, that none. That sounds like an excuse. Yeah, it is an excuse. It, and Mike Trout is out for for months, uh-huh. and um, they're basically a Triple A team, and their record is, oh. I think, five hundred exactly right now. Okay, and our our record is below five hundred. So therefore, congratulations. That's awesome. Well, going. Both- both our teams will not make the playoffs, and yeah. uh, that's how it goes sometimes. But uh, injuries injuries can make or break the team, as you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, a really good team will get around those injuries. You know, if you're relying on one guy. Yeah, but I just said three people. I don't know. I think three of your very best players goes down. There's not very many teams that are going to weather that all uh, that well. The Cardinals could still. Cardinals are a pretty bad team this year, I think. I think they're Oh, uh, yeah, but they'll be there. They're probably going to be uh, in the playoffs, and they might win the World Series. That's how they always do it. Oh, they're shitty at first, and then they sort of creep back to 500 and playing in a terrible division. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but it's just like always like it's October, and all of a sudden the Cardinals are still there. It doesn't really matter what year they had. They're just still in it somehow. It's irritating, actually. Well, it's being in a really, really bad division um, that is not lo- no longer terrible, although the Cubs— are not looking very good this year either. Interesting game, this baseball thing. It can be. It can Maybe be. Maybe not the way we're talking about it, but no, yeah. I think we're boring the hell out of everybody. And I think yes. that most readers <laughs> just find it boring anyway. Baseball. A lot of sitting I around. Think the episode hasn't aired yet. We haven't done it any uh, service, but it's a good episode. I'm pretty sure. No, uh, you know what? I just realized I'm in control of this. I'll I'll make sure it goes on before this. So, so we are being redundant. We're not just iterating, we're reiterating. Very good. So um, today's topic is brought to you by one of our great benefactors, uh, AJ Wilson 82. AJ Wilson 82, friend of the podcast. That's right. Um, He called himself uh, the Charlie to our angels. And uh, not talking about the Anaheim angels, he's talking about Charlie's angels. Um, Right. And uh, so I thought, oh, yeah, he's just like a voice out there telling us what to do. And we are beautiful. We're basically tits <laughs> and ass. And that's kind of what we're here for. And I got to ask you which angel you are. Farah, of course. Mm-hmm. Look at that hair. Because man. your nipples get hard and they, uh, they stick out of, the, of your shirt. Uh, they do sometimes. Um, but I was thinking more of the hair. That's the oh. hair I want. That was the hair of me in high school. Feathered back. That beautiful feathered hair that just flows and, yeah. Yep. I was like a Eddie Van Halen lookalike when I was in high school. Young Eddie Van Halen when he was also good looking. Boy, those were the days. We, we all had feathered hair back then. Actually, I don't think I had feathered hair. I don't think my hair would behave even then. Well, you were a ska guy, not a metal guy. Yeah, but that was later. I mean, this this we're talking about the 70s and the ska. The ska revival. I wasn't one of the early. I'm talking 80s. Guys. I'm not, I don't know about you, but I graduated high school in the 80s. Yeah, but there was no Charlie's Angels then. That was, I mean, that was the 70s. I don't know, don't man. In high school, that's when I had the Farrah Fawcett uh, poster on my okay. wall. That was like 1984, 1985, that kind of thing. I had moved on at that point. Yeah. Well, AJ um, sent in a note uh, quite a while ago, I think, and uh, even longer ago um, for when taken into consideration how long it may take to edit this uh, this episode and 
and publish it. Um, but he he said, what about uh, like the various writing manuals and textbooks and what what should the young writer, you know, kind of do about that? Should is it worth reading them? I guess. And uh, and what about the teacher? Are they? How do you use them in the classroom? What are what are the PRL thoughts about various um, how to books concerning writing? And um, right. so I thought we'd a very we'd good bounce point. that around a little bit. Dan, you want to start us off? Well, the, the the book that I use when I teach is the John Gardner, The Art of Fiction book. And it's it's something that I read when I was a younger man, like right around the time I took those Charlie's Angels posters off my wall. I was reading John Gardner's Art of Fiction, and it didn't really mean a whole lot to me. But I, I use it as a as a teaching tool because there's a lot of very specific things in there that I think are good for the for the young writer, such as things about particularly about voice. But there's also stuff in there about when plot is too much or when you're relying too much on plot. There's stuff on um pacing that's important and really there's a big chunk of it uh that he talks about on language finding the right word and not overwriting not underwriting and i find all that stuff really useful i think it's it's a real positive on the negative side it's because it's it's written it was written so long ago there's some sort of out of date attitudes about it that uh it's not too bad but um it, it you have to sort of discuss it with the students because in, in when he was writing the book, you know, the the he always refers to the writer as a he and um, which is, you know, just the times, you know, and uh, also there's some kind of writing exercises in the back. And one of them is like you're walking down. The writer is walking down the street and he encounters a black person and stuff like that. You know, there's no <laughs> thought that there's no thought that the writer might be a black person. But, you know, it's if you, if you kind of over. Go ahead. What's that? I'm just laughing because it's just so inconceivable that somebody would write something like that and publish it in a book today. Right. Um, but uh, especially the writing community is, you know, pretty hyper aware of this kind of language. Um, uh, so yeah. that's kind of comical Actually, more than anything to me, but as a white guy who doesn't have to worry about these things. There was things, a, uh, my wife subscribes to this yoga journal and they had this correction in it. And the correction was, there was basically, you know, you had to read it like three or four times to figure out what it was talking about. But it basically, it said that they had referred to somebody named Chris as a she, but really it was a he, but they couldn't just say that. They had to say, uh, we referred, we referred to Chris as a she. And in fact, Chris is a cisgendered male who uses the pronouns him, his, and, uh, whatever it is, him, his, and his is, yeah. So, I mean, the correction, you had to decipher it. Well, is this, is, was there like some kind of gender bigotry going on? But no, once you read it a couple of times, you could realize that just back in the old days, you could just say, we fucked up on, we said her instead of him. Yeah. Well, but anyway, I, it's a good conversation to have with the, with the students anyway, about the, about the, about the kind of yeah. where maybe I'm come. crazy. What about you? Maybe I'm crazy, but, um, I think in 10 years writing, manuals or books in general that that go bend over backwards to say they and and all that kind of stuff and are really obsessed with like cisgender versus the other i think they're going to seem obsolete and silly um just complicating language is complicated enough as it is um i think there's ways to be respectful and to you know kind of be just to all people regardless of you know the sexual identification and all that without the language being quite so tortured, but, uh, Hey man, I'm a cisgendered white guy. So what uh, is a cisgendered I like white the way you guy? Say 
is that redundant? Well, I, th- I like the way you put that. I mean, you know, we're allies and of course, you know, we can't just say like, here's how it should be. But yeah, I, I, it's, it is difficult sometimes to work with. Uh, also, the rules keep changing on you, you know, and you want to get it right. So. Yeah. Well, I just think in terms of prose style, you know what I mean? If, if you're going to start getting bogged down in having to kind of be super inclusive in language, you're, you know, the, the good, the the best prose style, if you can say there is a best, is a clean a clean prose style. You want to kind of use the minimum amount of, amount of words to use to to achieve the maximum amount of meaning. And if you sure. read, say, sociology, if you read a sociology journal, you know, like a scholarly journal, it's the prose is tortured. I mean, all academic writing is just painful to read. It's so takes them so long to get even simple ideas out there, which I think is part of the point trying to gussy up their their pretty basic ideas trying oh, to yeah, absolutely. make it seem like it's fancy um so anyway you we good. talked about john gardner i the one i use for teaching well let me uh, let me stick with you a little bit more um do you did you ever read this book to become a better writer or is this just plain old i'm this is what i'm going to use to teach I did. You know what? I did read it when I was uh, when I was in my 20s, but I can't say that I got anything out of it. In fact, I sort of read it with a little bit of a jaundiced eye. I was kind of like I I sort of felt it was beneath me to read it. I also read. um, uh, uh, Shoot, I'm forgetting her name. Um, The woman who wrote uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. She she wrote a great book, too. Yeah. Uh, and and Eudora Wetley, Welt, Welty wrote a wrote also. Anyway, I read all these books, but I, I I don't know that I necessarily got anything out of them. But they're sort of like uh, I wanted to know what these other writers experienced when they were my age. That was what I felt like. But whether that it had any impact on the writing itself, I'm not sure. So more like the uh, I th- I think something that really interests me about the uh, my struggle, Min Kampf books the canal scarred that we've mentioned regularly is that it's a, it's a memoir of a writer. Um, and it's a a struggling writer and then a successful writer. And some of the parts that I like the best are his feelings about his writing, his failures, his successes. And, um, a lot of them seem very familiar. And for somebody who's like internationally famous, it's nice to be a non-famous person who, who feels a connection like, Oh, maybe that'll happen to me. Um, yeah. And uh, so I also thought that it helped me as a writer just to kind of like cut through some of the bullshit of my own writing because that seems to be his journey in a lot of ways. Um, as far as like somebody like John Gardner, Gardner, which I haven't read his books and I, I, I respect him. I read Beowulf. Be- wait, what is it? Not Beowulf. What is the uh, Grindel? Oh, the it's Grindel. Hello? Yeah. I'm here. Yes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. You were cutting out a little bit. Oh. Sunlight Dialogues. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I'm talking about Grindel. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. No, I have not read that. Um, so anyway, um, but I, I don't think that anybody telling me how to do it has ever helped me at all. Like, oh, you should use, you should do significant detail and you sh- this is how you do it. And then you should use fewer words rather than more words. I never got, I never listened. It only was the repetition of writing and writing and reading and reading and writing and writing and reading what I write 
and my taste getting kind of more and more refined. Um, and uh, probably the teaching and all those books that I've read eventually find their way into my my actions as a writer, but uh, it was not a an immediate thing. Um, and I avoided all those books early because I thought I was too good for them or something, which was stupid in hindsight. Um, but I use the I use Janet Burway's famous book writing fiction for teaching purposes, and that's just right. because it you know there's a chapter a week for my ten week term. And each chapter has a lesson, and we kind of barely refer to the book, but I assume I trust them to read it. And then when I talk about terms, they should already know it, so I don't have to define everything. And there's a chapter on how the workshop should be run. Um, it's just convenient. And then there's readings, um, you know, published short stories. Uh, it's just a lot of work coming up with your own materials and... Um, <laughs> It was just easier to use somebody else's who'd already done it. Well, is um, that a book that you think works better in a classroom? It's not like something somebody would pick up on a bookshelf. Oh, I think that, I mean, I think that you could, if you were a really, uh, I don't know if the right word is entrepreneurial, but if you're a self-learner and probably if you're a grown-up um, in a bigger sense of that word, I think you could buy that book. I think you could read it do the exercises, and you would learn a lot. Um, the one thing missing is a seasoned kind of writer to read your work and to evaluate it. I think that's really where you where you get your money's worth in, in a writing workshop kind of thing. Um, sure. And the other thing that a writing workshop does is it gives you a community of writers, your, fellow, your peers, um, and that's kind of hard to come by without signing up for the whole deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I don't know. Those books have their place. I know that a lot of writers get, you know, either medium famous or super famous and they sell them. Oh, hey, the uh, uh, one of our favorite punching bags, The uh, although she doesn't care, The Fifty Shades of Grey, something James, yeah. E.L. James. She wrote... I'm, I'm familiar with her work. Yes. She wrote a writing manual I heard, I saw somewhere on... on uh, Facebook. Maybe it was a joke. I bet it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it seemed like it was just something she did. Like, this is another way to make a bunch of money. And all these fan fiction people that love her, her work are, oh, this is how she did it. Um, even though, and with no recognition that the, the serious quote, air quotes around that, the serious writers of the world are picking apart her sentences and her lame scenes. And the feminists of the world are, kind of presenting her main character as this the worst kind of example for female power you can imagine and you know the crassness of the idea behind it and she doesn't care obviously she's like hey i'm gonna do a right i'm gonna teach everybody how to write like me screw you right and she gets to do she's that. she's fan fictioning all the way to the bank yeah she is um i i have a list of you know I'm not going to go through all the books that I've used and I get sent them. Hey, when you become a professor, all you little dogs out there, when you become a big dog like us, they <laughs> send you free textbooks. Yeah. Yeah. They just show up. You didn't ask for them. Yeah. Just you get in your and office you can, and there it is. Hey, there they are. And then you can resell them. Yeah. By lunch for like $3. Quite a scam. $50 book. They send you free and you can get $3 out of it. Um, 
it is a bit of a scam, I'm afraid. Um, so anyway, some of them are, I think, you know that movie adap- adaptation? Charlie yes. Kaufman film, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, remember, he's like this artsy art film screenplay writer, autobiographical, and he's trying to figure out how to write a better screenplay, so he ends up going to a how to write an action screenplay seminar. Yeah. And then he brings that into his adaptation where there's this chase scene and this like murder, you know, people with guns for a little while in the movie. I thought that was really, really clever. Put it that way. I think that's a real guy too. That's a real program, like a real workshop and a real book. Seemed like it. Uh, But there's a lot of how to, how to write a novel. And one of them is, has this like military sort of font and, and camouflage cover it's uh, the novelist boot camp, and it's like a drill sergeant yelling at you to write a certain amount of words per day. And um, you know what? I bet you if you took that book and if you had some skill, you have learned some things and you wrote it and you did everything that book said, you would come out with an okay novel at the end and maybe a really good novel. Sure. And so it's anything can help, even something that seems cheesy can help you, whatever it takes to get your words out there. Um, and, uh, there was one I, yeah, oh, go ahead. I, well, no, I was just gonna say, I always think that an organizational structural framework is really super helpful. It, it, it feels antithetical almost if you're trying to write some kind of artistic statement or something like that. But, uh, you know, people who sit around and wait for inspiration, they're not publishing books. You got to sit down you got to say, I'm going to write X number of pages and do it in this number of hours or this time of day. And a lot of those books will help you out with that. And there's some, I saw one that was like, write a novel in a month. And you flip through it, and it's pretty silly. But it, the steps, even if you can't do them in a month, the steps are good, you know, about revision, about plotting what out about your character. What about sort of, the write a novel in November? NaNoWriMo? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's like a thing, right? The Nini, Nini Honana or something? <laughs> I thought it was NaNoWriMo, but maybe I'm just maybe. making nonsense word sounds. I think you're supposed to grow a beard and write a novel and not shave, I think. Something like that. I guess that's also the same as growing a beard. Well, what if you don't have a beard? What if you don't have facial hair? Well, then how can you be a writer if you're not what a man? What if you're an infant? Read the Art of Writing by John Gardner. Yes. But, uh, I was trying to go somewhere with that, but I guess we've already gone where it needed to go. Um, I did have one question about what you said. You said something about an autistic statement. What is that? So the certain kind of um, a book isn't good for autistic statements? Um, Anyway, you confuse me. Uh, I said artistic. Oh, (laughs) cut that out, Gabe. That was, you know what the best thing about that was? That was like, I thought of saying that right after you, you know, just like a asshole-ish kind of joke, autistic statement instead of artistic and just insulting and bad and dumb. But I waited so long that you had completely forgotten about what you'd said. And, and so the joke flopped so terribly that it uh, almost worked. Well, I think that you should leave it in. Let our listeners show... Let our listeners uh, be aware that, you know, not everything we do is perfect. I don't know, man. That's, that's very scary. That's scary. I've, I've built this facade of perfection around me. It's taken my whole life to construct it. 
my wife has never seen beyond it, much less anyone else. And to sure. shatter that in front of our our hundreds of thousands of listeners is uh, that's not an easy step for me. And I just want you to know that. I'd like to see you turn that sense of humor of yours, like turn it, turn it away from like me a little bit <laughs> and like turn it into something positive and see instead of like, you know, jumping on one word that I said, see if you can like say something about the sunshine or about, uh, you know, the weather we're having out there. Good weather isn't funny, man. In fact, I remember there's something from the Janet Burroway book, and I think she may have even be quoting John Gardner, but it's about how you need conflict to tell a story. Um, and uh, it said, if you go on a really nice picnic and you really like the date that you're with and you're in love and you go there and it's a beautiful day, and the food is good, and you make out, and then you go home, and then that's not an interesting story. Although it may get interesting when you get home if you yeah, tell I like it, that. Tell I, it I in like the right way. Headed. But um, but now if you go and you get in an argument with your your date, it starts to rain, ants attack. You actually turns out you're in like the bull like kind of pen, and like you know like a. You have to climb up a tree because there's this angry bull kind of charging at you. That's a good story. Sure. So, um, and I think it's uh, I think it's very appropriate that you used your book, which just quoted the book that I mentioned. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Oh, I wanted to throw stuff. a bone to the poets. I know they get short shrift in our in our podcast, and for that I apologize. Um, and it's not because I don't respect and like poetry. It's just that I don't know that much about it. Um, and you are a poet. You're quite the poet on Facebook, um, or crit- mm-hmm. you're a poet critic. Um, we'll leave that alone for a second. But there is a book I've taught poetry before um, in a multi-genre class. That's where you you get to do a little bit of everything, even if you're not qualified to do it. Um, uh-huh. But the book I've used and I really liked is called "The Making of a Poem" by Mark Strand and Even Boland, if I said uh-huh. that right. And it's a formal approach in a way in that there's all these closed forms, the villanelle, the pantoum, the sonnet. And so you, they urge students to learn the forms. And then they have all these examples of, of poets who've used those forms, but also the examples they have get increasingly f- away from the form. And so you could see somebody kind of manipulating the form and then breaking the form and then like abandoning it halfway and, and, um, or just doing clever things with the form. I really like that because what I found with young poets is that they'd never read any poetry. You know, they just thought, I mean, I guess nursery rhyme was probably the only poetry they've ever read. And so they think that's yeah limericks or something. Yeah. Dr. Seuss. And so I can do things that rhyme. And so they just kind of riff on, on that off the top of their head without having any sense of, of form. Um, and even free verse writers should be aware of form. Um, and even some would say even more so. So the making of a poem was good. I was all for it. So you would recommend that book as well? I do if you're going to teach and if you're a poet and you want to learn about forms. Um, I think it's a good idea. I mean, it, you know, just to learn the specific forms, even, even uh, back to... Fiction writing, you know, try to write a murder mystery, try to write, you know, learn what the specific rules are and then and then supersede them, go beyond them. 
it seems kind of hard to like, I mean, if you're a poet, you can like do a sonnet, a pantoum, and you could do one of each in an afternoon probably. Whereas mm-hmm. like you can't really write every genre of novel as a warm-up practice. You know what sure I mean? Sure you can. Really? You don't have to write long ones. Write like two pages of a vampire story. Oh, yeah, but two pages doesn't get at the form. Uh, when I think of form, I think overall structure. And novels have a very kind of sometimes quite intricate structures. And that's not just like writing one page of vamp. Oh, the vampire came in. and You know what I mean? That's That to me doesn't sure. teach me much about form. It may, but anyway, we're probably niggling over something. Um, it's not that important. Form versus like the voice, I suppose, and the tropes and all that. Could be. Could be. Um, I have one other book I wanted to recommend and a different type of creative writing sort of manual. And this one is called The Golden Theme. I have it in my office at at work, and so I don't have it with me here. Um, But it is a more, it isn't a nuts and bolts book. It's very thin. It's written by a, sorry, if you Google The Golden Theme, you'll find the author's name. He's not famous. He's a screenwriter. Screenwriters usually aren't very well known even if they're very successful. Um, and uh, But he's just talking about storytelling in a, a macro sense that is, for me, I found very liberating because we're always talking about the minutia of how to write well. But uh, he asked the question, what should we be writing and what is the purpose of storytelling? Um, and uh, the, it's funny, you could probably go through a whole MFA without really asking that question. Um, and, uh, so he, he doesn't make any distinction between the different forms of storytelling, oral tradition, films, short, written short stories, um, just the story you tell your buddy, you know, at the, at the bar, um, poems, epic poems, narrative poems, of course. Anyway, um, but he, he makes this case that, uh, all stories um, and the, the most successful stories do this the best, have one message, and it's the message that's always being told over and over and over again. And he writes it beautifully and makes the argument. It's going to sound ridiculous as I say it here, but trust me, this book is probably worth checking out. Um, and the golden theme is, we are all the same. Um, and he came mm-hmm. upon this, he, he illustrates it while walking through a graveyard and where all those people underground who's lived and died and what they have to tell us is that we are all the same. All of our differences are are petty when you're in the graveyard. And all the, and then he the his book is sort of making the case that all the great literature really has that that theme deep down buried in into it. Um and the the great villains always have the same message. We are all different. Mainly I'm better than you. And all the great heroes are I'm no better than any of you. We're all we're all worthy. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could go through. Go through. So there's like a humility, like the protagonist is going to have a humility and the, the villain is not going to be aware of that. Well, the most heroic thing to do is to sacrifice yourself for another. And that's the ultimate statement that you have. You are not valued more than anyone else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's a great book and it's a good, it's a good thing to remember to do is to look at the big 
you know, kind of step back away from the the writing, the scene writing, the sentence writing, the paragraphs, the lines of poetry, and and step all the way back to what are we doing here? What is the history? And it's got that kind of Jungian archetypes kind of thing, or Joseph Campbell kind of kind of stuff to it, which I I like. That stuff interests me. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of the Joseph Campbell thing, the hero with a thousand faces, and uh, I, I it's I think that's an interesting philosophical idea as well. You know, it's a good one to play. It's a sort of an offshoot. It's the hero with a thousand anuses. I'm not familiar it's, with it. It's, it's um, it's you know, it's updated. It's for nowadays. It's more PC. Okay. <laughs> good. Anuses on each finger. If you think about it, mm-hmm. thousand, that's a lot of anuses. You got to have them all that over. That is a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If they're all functioning, that would be very problematic. Or great. Who are you to say, Dan? I feel like it would be. I think that everybody is the same, even somebody with a thousand anuses. And I wouldn't be judging personally, but hey, I've always been heroic in that way. I think if you had a thousand anuses, you would feel like you were better than the other person, a single anus person's people. And so just think about your shits would be tiny, but each one would add up. You know, at the end, you would have a full shit, but each one would be so little that, uh, you know, it would barely even qualify as a shit. We are never going to win a podcast award. You don't think so? You don't think this is good stuff? This is like let's, let's not submit this one in for consideration. Think about all the toilet paper. That would be a lot of toilet paper you'd have to use. I'm clapping. <laughs> well, hey Dan, this has been fun. It always is. Um, what's your uh, RWT situation these days? Well, I just finished reading this book called The Ruined Map, which I mentioned, I think, on the last episode. And I had a thought about it, which is that I enjoyed it quite a bit, uh, but I'm not 100% sure that I understood it. And so it made me think about something that I I want to discuss with you on a future episode having to do with um, difficulty and sort of uh, kind of abstract novels and whether – whether there's something to be from them based not just uh, for the book itself, but just also for the, the kind of the effort involved in reading. Not that this one required a lot of effort. It actually went down pretty smoothly, but I, but I got to the other end of it and I was a little bit confused about it. But that said, I really enjoyed being in that world. The Ruined Map by the, Abe. I, I don't know that. I forget his first name, It's but it's spelled A-B-E. And I, maybe if uh, some of our listeners Abe? have read it yeah it's well it's a but it's it's japanese but um honest abe. Trans- he's the honest abe of japan i've heard of him it could be yeah yeah he's president so if anybody's got like read that and has some thoughts on it email him shoot us an email shoot me an email i like the title it's a it's a great title it's a great book it really is and i liked sort of that feeling of being a little bit confused and i thought i'm going to read this again i'm just going to put it back on the bedside table but i'm uh a day later i'm not sure i'm ever going to actually do that yeah you will someday what, you? what are um, you w- well <clears throat> I'll, I'll talk about teaching for a second I'll, I'll grind an x for a second um in that uh i uh i got confused for a second i i went to this 
um, transfer student orientation kind of deal. And I was supposed to kind of welcome the transfer students in like, Hey, you're part of us. And, and I transferred in from a two year college when I was an undergraduate. So I was one of those. Um, but I actually, it was just one of those three or four hour wastes of time because there was nobody there to talk to me. And the one student who was there to talk to me, it was a creative, wanted to be a creative writing major and actually dropped out of her school because they didn't have a creative writing program to come to our school. And we talked for several minutes. I got her signed up for all her classes in fall. And then she goes, oh, well, I also want to do education. And it turns out that she can't do creative writing and education. It's just the, and, and what I'm kind of building up to is um, to be an English teacher, not only is it unlikely, <clears throat> not, is it, not only is it not required that you do any creative writing on your training, but it's almost impossible to do it unless you're willing to just stay in school longer than your four-year degree, mer um, you know, your basic four-year degree, and so it costs extra money, extra time. So they're really discouraging teachers from having any kind of creative writing background. My, my wife's a teacher, right. and she knows almost none of the language arts teachers have ever do any creative writing at all. And I think that's a damn shame. I think that creativity... Uh, you know, uh, getting away from the word creativity, it's a, such a precious word, creating stuff, making stuff, I think is a great way to learn um, and not just kind of, there's a lot of memorizing going on in high school, I have a feeling, and, and a lot of like cultural capital of being able to kind of summarize the basic plot of Romeo and Juliet. That's fine, but I worry a little bit without knowing exactly what goes on in in classrooms these days, but I worry that that's the main focus is memorization and summarization of great quote, great works and very little making stuff yourself. And, um, and I think that's a dan that's a problem and I'm putting my foot down and I'm here on the podcast telling our hundreds of thousands <laughs> of listeners to vote with your dollar or whatever that might mean and uh, demand your creative writing in your uh, middle school and your high school. Well, I think there is a sense that because it's creative writing that it, A, can't be graded, and B, is probably easy because somebody can come up and say, well, how can you say that my creative story isn't any good, that there's no rigor behind it or no um, – did I say rigor or rigor? Rigor. There's no rigor behind it. There's rig uh, no rigor mortis behind it either no, yeah, for that matter. Yeah. No. So, I mean, I, I get that from the students, too, and you probably have experienced some of that, that somebody will come in and it's very clear in the by the first or second week that they're in the class because they think it's – they're under the impression that it's going to be There's easy. This, one of the problems is this no pain, no gain philosophy that we have in America. and Like, if it's fun, if it's enjoyable, if you'd like doing it, then it must not be right. any good for you. Instead, right, right. it's got to be miserable. you got to be miserable in class or you're not learning anything. Um, and I, that's just totally wrong. That's just 100% wrong. Like the more you practice something, the better you get at it. And if you like practicing, e you get even better, you know, and, um, and you'll put yourself through a rigorous kind of workout to do what you love to do. Um, yeah. As I mean, if Yo-Yo Ma stopped playing cello when it started to become easy, the world would be bereft of quite a bit of wonderful music. That's right. And, I hope you're up uh, you, you know, the two of us are going to do something that is going to be pretty rigorous and uh, supposedly enjoyable, um, which is uh, 
a pair of hundred mile ro- bike rides through some hilly That's terrain. Um, I just looked at the at the weather today, and it just broke to unbearably hot for those two days, mid nineties. It <laughs> went from fine. like really That's nice terrible. days to oh now we're now it's going to be like global warming. You you may die if you're not in good enough shape. Kind of. Uh, How's the wind? Weather. We'll have a pretty good tailwind on the way up and a pretty good headwind on the way back. Oh, all right, Both well. days, mid-90s. <laughs> Fucking shit, man. Bring so, it on. Yeah, I guess so. So anyway, that's our episode today. All right, Kelly. All right, Dan. This was fun. It was a blast. Thank you for spending some time with me and you too, listeners. Thanks for spending time with us. Absolutely. Signing off. This is Kelly Daniels. Catch you guys later. Here's the music. Bye. Bye. Do, 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 do. I always do the th- the beginning theme and I should do the end theme. I always forget the end theme. Because you know, you'd never make it through the end of the podcast as a listener. No, I do. But I just don't remember the end theme. I don't know why. Just don't do, know do, why. Do, do. I know it's like a surf rock kind of. There's like a whammy bar. Yeah. It sounds great. Um, hey. Oh, let me uh, stop the recording. Personal Rejection Letter is produced and edited by Kelly Daniels with help from Dan Whitman. Special thanks to the Augustana College English Department for loaning us a student worker and to Sub-Atlantic for providing the theme music. We always welcome comments, suggestions, and especially praise. Say hi to Dan and Kelly on their Facebook pages or follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter. If you like what you hear, do a podcast a solid and leave a review on iTunes. I'm Mary Carter, signing off. Talk to you next time.